When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is uh, Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Um, a quick note, we are recording this show on Monday night around the time that the Orioles and Marlins were supposed to have played their game Monday. But that was postponed in the aftermath of a out- coronavirus outbreak within the Marlins clubhouse. Uh, Jeff Passan, ESPN, tweeted Monday morning that the total number of infected players from the Marlins uh, traveling roster of 33 players was at 11, um, plus two coaches. So the Mar- right now we're in a, something of a holding pattern. The Orioles and the Marlins were postponed Monday night. In addition, the Phillies and the Yankees, because the Marlins had been in Philadelphia over the weekend, the Yankees were supposed to come to Citizens Bank Park for a series beginning on Monday. That game was also postponed. Um, reportedly, the Orioles had flown to Miami from Boston. Uh, after the series finale on mo- Sunday, but are flying back Monday. The status of Tuesday's game, along with the games on Wednesday and Thursday, remain unclear. They're still technically scheduled, uh, but we'll see if they play. And this is certainly the most immediate and biggest challenge to face MLB so far as it tries to conduct the season amid the pa- pandemic. Uh, Bob, what is your reaction to this development? Disappointment. I uh, can't say shocked because, you know, you've seen cases pop up here and there, and it was kind of a matter of time before you had a bit of an outbreak show up somewhere. And it's just what is MLB's course of action? What are they going to do to con- try to control this and continue the season if they should? Um, yeah, it was definitely disappointment, especially this early in the season. We just had our first opening weekend. Orioles come out 2-1. and one right in the prime of contention for this playoffs and uh to have our games canceled while we're hot it's a disappointment but you really question whether miami and philadelphia should have played on sunday considering they already had four positive tests there um i'm just confused about what mlb is going to do looks like they're going to try to go ahead with every single other game that was scheduled today other than those two that you mentioned so I hope they don't rush it. I hope they don't do something that causes the outbreak to spread even more and have the season be shut down completely. Yeah, so when we decided to record this tonight, uh, I spent a lot of time this afternoon thinking about this when I should have been working, but that's all right. Um, so I I got a little bit of a rant, and I, I'm going to try not to overreact, but it's hard not to when talking about all of this. You know, this past weekend was pretty awesome. Like There was phenomenal baseball all weekend long. Like from Dustin May, Johnny Cueto, like shimmy and shaking their way opening day to, to great outings. Uh, 
watching Brady Singer with the Kansas City Royals in his debut after being drafted like nine days ago, it seems like, out of Florida. Uh, Luis Robert and his home run. For Dylan Bundy dealing out in Los Angeles, like so many fantastic outings. Like I got my money's worth out of my MLB TV subscription over this past weekend. And we're going to talk about the Orioles specifically later on, the playoff bound Orioles. But, you know, the future of baseball is really special, I think. And as a minor league focused podcast, I'm excited to see these younger guys across the league make their debuts this year and everything. And it it was a lot of fun. Uh, but then, like, I settle in my office this morning, and I see, like, all of that come tumbling down in a matter of, like, minutes. Uh, I couldn't even, like, get ready for my meeting this morning, and you see all the news pop up. And, you know, you see tweets from someone like uh, what's it, Matt Breen, I think it is. He's a Phillies beat writer, the tweet that was making his rounds today, uh, you know, saying that the Marlins knew of these positive cases before Sunday's game. And it was, like, a text message thread, like, hey, guys, want to play today? Sure, let's do it. Like, that shouldn't be a question. Like you don't play the game. You don't need a meeting for that. You shut it down, contact trace, get people in the quarantine that need to quarantine, reevaluate. You know, you're playing the, the Phillies. You're going to see them how many times this year? You're going to see them many more times throughout the rest of the year. You can play that game later on. Play a doubleheader at some point. It keeps your roster safe, the Phillies safe, you know, the Yankees safe coming into town, and the Orioles safe who, who are coming into town, into Miami. Like watching these games, you know, the social distancing measures are kind of a joke. I've seen this with the local summer league here in town that implemented the same exact rule MLB did. And those rules are broken within four seconds. Um, And now you've got Don Maddenly saying like, well, social distancing is hard. And there's so many people in the dugout. Like the stadium is empty. There's no one in that stadium. You can sit wherever you want and spread out. It does not matter. You should know the batting. Like if you're one through nine in the batting order, okay, stay in the dugout with your coach and your bench coach. Everyone else doesn't need to be there. That's not an excuse. And Don Mattingly, Derek Jeter, that whole Marlins organization just joins the state of Florida and their just ineptitude and everything. Um, like you're trying to travel during a global pandemic in a country that can't get things under control. This is bound to happen. And it, it doesn't seem like there's any plan in place except guys stop spitting on the field. I told you not to do that. And that's it. Like Rob Manfred is a little bit ridiculous in all of this. This whole situation is, it is depressing. That's a pretty good word that Bob used. And, and I'm thinking about like the hotel workers, the, the other team staffers, the airline staffers, uh, anyone else who came into contact with the Marlins team and possibly now the Phillies team, like are their families at risk now? You don't know. Like this is just, it's bigger than baseball. It's, it's bigger than just sports. Um, you know, 16 plus million people have been infected with this virus. Over 600,000 people are dead. And, and we're just going to say, like, stop spitting. Like, that's your response to all this, this outbreak. Like, I want baseball. I want football next month. But I also want everybody to be safe. I want people's families to be safe. And, you know, it's hopefully the negative impacts of this are limited. And I hope baseball can resume safely. I hope we don't see a big rash of positive tests come out of this. But, you know, I'm going to stop rambling there, but, you know, it's just let's just take care of each other and be responsible human beings. Like what the Marlins did was a little bit ridiculous. And, and you know, we'll see what happens. Well said. Yeah, the, the ripple effects are this, you know, aren't really known yet. But as Nick said, it is scary to think about not just the players, but then clubhouse staff. Uh, anyone who works in the hotel room where the Marlins were staying. Um, there's broader implications outside of baseball, which is why, you know, above and beyond getting through this 60-game schedule, which is already showing that it is going to be a challenge. Um, Players and teams got to proceed with caution. 
you know, I don't know if operating outside of a bubble and going from city to city is going to work or not. I don't think that the bubble model of Arizona, Texas, and Florida, or maybe a combination of one or two of those states was going to work when cases started to surge in those states. I don't think it was going to work then. But as we start to see the community community spread, these precautions got to work. And as Nick said, telling players to not spit on the field is not an adequate measure. It's not. Um, you know, and I think it's just human nature, but I saw it a lot over the weekend. It seemed like players were kind of slipping back into old habits a little bit with fist bumps, high fives, not wearing a mask in the dugout. And look, I don't know that that's what caused the outbreak on the Marlins. None of us know. But the bottom line is I think it's a little bit human nature. When you put people back into an environment where they're very used to, they start to slip back in their old habits. So MLB, regardless of what happens, even if the two games that were postponed Monday are the only ones that were postponed, they got to go back to the drawing board and figure out how do we make sure this does not happen again? Because if it happens again and it happens again after that, the public pressure on MLB to just shut it all down is going to mount. Yeah, even like it's it's going to happen again, right? Like we're we're only three days into the season, four days into the season. It's going to happen again. Um, you're not getting a vaccine tomorrow, although prayers up to Moderna and their vaccine trial that started today. Like it's not, nothing's going to happen tomorrow. And so the plan is to like, don't leave it up to the teams and Don Mattingly, like Rob Manfred needs to step up and stop. I think this was, I think it was Connor Newcomb, Locked on Orioles podcast. Uh, I listened to his show today and, and he called Rob Manfred a coward uh, for not taking the lead on that. And, and I fully agree with that statement. Yeah. I like David Price's tweet about this is why I opted out. I didn't think MLB was going to have the player safety as their best interest at heart and looks like he's proven right. So I mean, you might see a few more people drop out at this point. Yeah, I, should, I should note, I believe there was another opt-out today. Um, checking on that right Tim now. Tim Collins, yes. left-handed pitcher for the Rockies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah so, so, I mean, this, this comes into focus. Why a lot of players did opt-out, and even players that don't have pre-existing conditions but had concerns within their immediate family, of not wanting to play. You're seeing it now. Wouldn't be shocked if Mike Trout opted out at this point with his pregnant wife at home, you know. It was clear yeah. from the beginning that MLB just, they wanted their 60 games and to get their playoff money, and that was it. So they've really played it the wrong way from the beginning. Yeah, even I saw something about, like, Didi Gregorius. He's tearing it up early this weekend with the Phillies, and – Watching guys like Didi Gregorius and Mookie Betts and those guys who aren't in the AL East anymore, it, it's fun to follow them. And, uh, you know, Gregorius, it, he has a kidney uh, disease. Like, he's he's at risk, but he wants to play, and he's wearing a mask, and he's doing everything right. And it just sucks that, you know, a team like the Marlins is going to come in here and say, let's just play, like we're all feeling fine. That's the point of all this. You could be feeling fine, and you don't know. And Right. The next person might not. Yeah, and so what happens if, you know, it was a first baseman for the Marlins has it, and Didi Gregorius was there talking to him, standing right next to him at first base, and now something happens to Didi. Like, it's, it's, yeah. They got to figure something out. They do. Absolutely. Yeah, right now, um, as I mentioned before, as we were starting the show, there's been no word on the games beyond uh, Monday concerning the Orioles and Marlins, although it appears that if the two teams do play on Tuesday, it will be in Baltimore rather than Miami, as was originally scheduled. Um, it was supposed to be a split series Monday, Tuesday, Miami, Wednesday, Thursday in Baltimore. 
Uh, it looks like now there will be no games in Miami this week. Uh, the games that were to take place in Baltimore on Tuesday night are still in question. But as we're discussing this, the rest of the league is pressing forward. There were games before we went on the air. There are games being played right now. So obviously, at least at this moment, MLB is not shutting down. They're going to try to press forward. So I'm just going to throw this out to both of you, and I'll start with you, Nick. At what point, this isn't so much a guess of when you think MLB would pull it out, uh, would just decide we're suspending the season or stopping it outright. When should MLB get to that point, in your opinion? I think that point was today when you see like the number of cases there and you have infectious disease doctors and, and other doctors that were hired by the league and, and work for these teams to say like, this is not safe. Uh, um, if, if we can get this under control and, you know, I don't want to say mistakes happen uh, because they do, but this is also people's lives you're talking about and playing a, a game. So we want to be a little bit more careful, but yeah. I think if we see another outbreak like this, I think if you're not going to shut down now, I think if we see this again, you've got to shut it down. Just pause it at least. You know, we're not saying shut the entire season down and cancel it and everybody go home for good. But you know, I think I've seen that the KBO's policy is take a two-week break. That's Take a two-week break. If we have to go down to a 40, 45-game schedule, then so be it. Like If you really want to get this thing in. But anything like this again that happens, I, I don't see how you can't step in and just say, we, we got to nip this in the bud now before you can keep going. Yeah, I completely agree with everything Nick said. Clearly, the way they expanded the playoffs at the last second, you're going to have 16 teams. They don't care how many regular season games are played. So even if you have to take two-week break now, you play for two weeks, and then there's another outbreak, you take another two-week break, and there's only 30 games played, they're still going to get their 16-team playoffs. Otherwise, they might not even get to that point, and they're going to lose out on all that money. So... They probably should take a two-week break now, like Nick and Connor Newcomb said on his podcast. I, I Clearly, they're not going to. Um, they're going to push their luck. But what if, say, Cincinnati looks like they had a few players test positive, positive the last couple of days. What if that starts another outbreak and you could contact Trace the Marlins to the Braves with their two catchers that you know are tested positive or at least were sick? I don't know if they actually came back tested positive, but... This thing could get out of hand really quick if you don't try to nip it in the bud right now. Yeah, I'm in agreement with both of you. You know, I thought MLB actually had ample time today because we were learning most of this news came out this morning. So MLB had ample time before the first game of the day to decide, all right, we're going to shut, we're going to pause. We're going to take a pause. And if it's two weeks, if it's, you know, a week to make sure that we, you know, can get our contact tracing up and that no one else tests positive, this outbreak doesn't spread beyond these cases, we'll resume play at that point. Um, but the league didn't, and I agree with both of you. If this happens again, they got to look at at least a two-week pause because the more you try to repeat this cycle, the more likely it is that the league's just going to get shut down. Forget the 16-team playoff. If this happens three or four times in a 20-game stretch, that's it. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, not much more to say than that. I yeah. mean, it's, it's just, it's um, crazy. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't spiral on them and they can have a second chance to get their ducks in a row for the inevitable next time that this happens. Yeah, it's the best we can hope for at this point. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about the Orioles opening weekend. Um, Orioles, um, 
did not look good in their uh, opening game on Friday, but then bounced back with two really strong games over Saturday and Sunday to take two out of three at Fenway Park. Um, and although, you know, the Red Sox were not a team that I had a lot of expectations for coming into this season, I still thought that they were an objectively better team than the Orioles. And the Orioles, other than on Friday night, outplayed the Red Sox, I think, every step of the way, Saturday and Sunday. They looked more complete than I expected. And I know one guy that we're going to focus on a little bit here, and because we are a prospect-focused podcast, we're going to bring the trade deadline equation into it a little bit, but that's Alex Cobb. Um, Cobb, the Orioles are hoping, is healthy this year, has one year left on the contract that he signed before the 2018 season, so he's under contract through 2021. Um, Potentially a trade candidate if he comes out of the gate strong. Um, Bob, what were your thoughts on his first outing on Saturday? And if that's the Alex Cobb we see over the next few weeks, do you think he's somebody the Orioles could get something in return for in a trade? I thought he looked tremendous in his start. I thought he looked like the guy in the first half of 2018, I think, before he got hurt again, yet again. Um, his splitter is good as always. He was touching 94, looked like precision command on the corners. Um, obviously just one start. He only went like five innings, five plus one out. Um, I know everyone, as soon as this, his, this, you know, his game was done was saying, Oh, trade him. Here we go. Kind of put him on the block. But to me, it doesn't, doesn't hurt to have a guy like Cobb leading the top of the rotation, just giving you a veteran presence. Can someone that the rookies can come up and lean on seems like a good guy in the clubhouse. Yeah. If he can put together a full month here before the trade deadline, just like that, and you're able to get a decent piece or two for him, then sure, why not? But I'm not in a rush to do so. If if you're just going to sh- shed his salary, excuse me, to me, that's not worth it. I mean, we've shed so much salary already that we have, like, I think the lowest or second lowest payroll in the in the game, so that's not much of an issue. Keep him around, and then if he can has a full season, maybe you trade him in the off season, and if if not, then you can trade him with the deadline next year. Yeah, I like that idea. I don't I don't see the Orioles trading Cobb this year. Maybe a Michael Givens. Uh, you know, I think with so many teams making the playoffs, he's probably the most likeliest trade candidate, uh, just because you always need bullpen arms. Uh, but with Cobb, you know, the outing was great. It was fun to watch. Um, I, I finally took a dive after years into fantasy, like daily fantasy sports. And uh, Alex Cobb and Dylan Bundy won me some money. So I am uh, all aboard the Alex Cobb hype train here. I was not expecting that. Um, but like that was fun to see. And yeah, we need him in, in that rotation. You, you watch Tommy Malone, who you know, was great for two innings. He looked like a savior out there. Um, you know, I had tweeted out on our account something interesting. I saw just poking around the next morning. He was third in swing and miss percentage behind Jacob deGrom and Shane Bieber on opening day. But that's good company. Yeah, that's fantastic. It was uh, over 20% swing and miss. Uh, but yeah, that fastball was just demolished. It's, it's an 86-mile-an-hour fastball, uh, and he really didn't have anything else. So, I mean, he can't go through the lineup two, three times every five days. Uh, same with Wade LeBlanc. Can't do that. John Means, we don't know how healthy he is moving forward. You got Wojo, and that's about it. Like a mixture of Cole Stewart and everybody else. So I think you got to keep Cobb around. It's every time he has a great outing, people are going to say time to trade him. But I don't know how much you're really going to get this year on, on the trade market for him. It's probably a lot easier to 
hope and pray he stays healthy again next year and then next year's trade deadline, you know, really uh, get a bigger return for him. So. Yeah, I I think that with Cobb, it's going to be hard um, after a month to say, here's Alex Cobb, he's healthy, he's a great deal for 2021, give us um, the best prospects you can give us for him. I, I think that's going to be a hard sell, um, but I was really encouraged by what I saw in his first start. And I was reminded that this is someone, and you know, obviously it was the fortunes of the 2018 and 2019 Orioles. It would not have been enough to have changed the trajectory of those teams. But you, when you see glimmers of a healthy Alex Cobb, you realize why that signing made sense um, in some respects before the 2018 season. I think the contract was too much, but Cobb actually, I think, was a decent fit at that at that point in time. And if he can get healthy again, I think you're still looking at a guy who can lead the top of this rotation and kind of help be the bridge to getting the Keegan Akins, Dean Kramers, the pitchers that are towards the top of the minor leagues in the major leagues and settled into a rotation before you start looking at, you know, what veterans do we want to part ways with. Um, I agree with Nick. I don't think that there's much in the Orioles rotation right now that I look at and I think, this is someone that I can trust the ball with for five innings. Um, if Malone and LeBlanc are relegated to the bullpen at some point this year and they're productive there, great. But I don't have much hope for either one being in the rotation all year. So Cobb, you know, if, if nothing else, helps to stabilize things a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I thought watching those and looking at how LeBlanc and Malone performed, you know, going they, trying to get through those fourth and fifth innings, it seemed like a perfect fit to go ahead and bring up your Keegan Akins and Dean Kramers and Michael Bauman's. And if you can throw Malone and LeBlanc for three innings and then throw one of those guys behind them for three innings, I think that's a win-win because Malone, I think, can be good enough through three innings. Same with LeBlanc. They're going to keep you in games early on. Um, you know, it takes guys a little bit to catch up, not catch up. Anybody can catch up to Tommy Malone's pitches, but <laughs> to get used to that movement, like on that changeup, it was a nice changeup, but to, to get used to that movement on his pitches, you know, by the time they do that, now you're going to throw in, uh, follow him up with like a Michael Bauman who throws 95, 96 miles an hour. Those could be a fun games to watch, but I, I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. But yeah. yeah, I was actually just about to say something pretty similar. This is a chance to experiment. You know, we got a 30 man roster right now. It might drop down to 28 in a couple weeks, a week or two, but this is a chance to use the opener strategy. Do Malone or LeBlanc, LeBlanc for uh, two, three innings and have someone that throws hard come in after that, whether it's Bauman or even if it's just a middle reliever, they can throw gas. And then if you want to do a soft lefty sandwich, you can finish with LeBlanc at the end. I don't know. But uh, just get creative and use the extra roster space to your advantage while you can. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you got the 60-game season, and although the Orioles are off to a strong start and it looks like we're going to have a, you know, a 16-team postseason, I think this is still a year where we know realistically the Orioles are rebuilding. So if you're going to try to look for ways to ease Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, and Michael Bauman, if the Orioles want to go that route, and, and I would not mind seeing him in the majors uh, at some point this summer, that would be a way to do it. Um, I completely agree. So one other uh, player I know we wanted to focus on, he was one of the, our top prospects coming into the year, Austin Hayes. Um, on the surface, the numbers um, in the series against Boston weren't great. He went two for 11 at the plate, uh, two strikeouts and a walk, uh, one RBI, no home runs, uh, left 
Boston with a 468 OPS over 14 plate appearances. Small sample size, obviously, but Nick, you uh, brought something up before the show that you saw some numbers that might have been a little bit more encouraging than what that stat line suggests. Yeah, definitely. Looking up uh, those, yes, it's small sample size, and but we haven't had baseball in months, and we may not have it for many more months. So we're going to overreact to those small sample sizes. Um, it, like you said, he only had a 182 batting average, but if you look on like Baseball Savant, uh, his expected batting average was 356, and his expected slugging percentage was 568, which would have ranked in the top eight percent of the league through the opening weekend, and his 434 uh, expected weighted on base average. Um, was also ranked in the top 8% of the league. So, I, I mean, if maybe it was just a bit of bad luck and he's going to hit a hot streak, I seem to be hitting the ball well. He was also pretty aggressive. He swung at the first pitch in just about every single at bat, uh, but he only struck out twice. So, uh, I mean, I think he looks better uh, just physically. Maybe it's just because I haven't really seen him lately, but or maybe it's the, the black jerseys. I, I don't know. But I thought he looked better up the plate, a little bit more physical. Uh, he's still got that same uh, you know, demeanor at the plate and in the field. So I'm just going to say don't be shocked if he gets a hot streak here soon. Hopefully he does. But, yeah, don't. I'm not discouraged by that, that slow start, and, and I'm going to hold on to those small sample size uh, expected stats. Take them for, for what you will. And to me, the eyeball test, uh, you know, reinforces what the numbers you just said, because first at bat of the season, I thought he had a, a nice swing on the ball. He went opposite field, just went with a slider on the outside corner, drove it almost to the wall. Guy made a good play. I think Jackie Bradley Jr. made a diving catch on him another time. He just seemed like he was seeing the ball really well, hitting the ball pretty hard, getting good contact, and he even worked a walk in there. He took a hit by pitch. So... Yeah, I, you, it's three games, so 468 OPS. He was he definitely played much better than that, and to me that's encouraging. If he can just not get too down on the numbers and keep doing what he's doing by the end of the season, however many games it is, uh, numbers should look way better than that. Yeah, on both sides of the ball, um, I'm really seeing a guy who's going to play an aggressive style. Um, what that's going to mean for him at the plate long term, I don't know, but... I, I, I kind of liked what I saw from his swing, um, and Bob mentioned that first uh, at-bat of the season. When that ball left the bat, I thought it was a double or a triple, if not a home run. I, I thought that that ball is either going to land, hit off the wall. With his speed, he could probably turn it into a triple, or it's going to go just over the wall, and then sure enough, it gets caught on, caught on the warning track. But it was a good swing. Um, I liked the swings that I saw from him all weekend, and some of the numbers that Nick just brought up lead me to believe that... Um, he's going to go on a tear here soon if um, he sticks to his approach, which is going to be key. A um, few other things we wanted to mention. Anthony Santander, who tested positive uh, for coronavirus um, a few weeks ago and had kind of his summer camp shortened but was in the opening day lineup, uh, looked good in the series at Boston. He homered up there, uh, went 3 for 11, so that's a 273 average. Um 727 slugging percentage. Again, it's only three games, but still impressive. Bob is in the lead on who will hit the most home runs by an Oriole this year because Rio Ruiz went yard twice over the weekend at Fenway Park. Uh, Renato Nunez, meanwhile, who Nick and I both picked, um, did not homer. So we will be watching that chase closely, I suppose, if we are uh, able to proceed with a full season. Um, did anything else stand out uh, to you over the first series? I'll start with you, Nick. 
Yeah, I think Santander obviously had a pretty explosive weekend. Three hits, all for extra bases. Uh, walked once, didn't strike out. Actually, I was just looking before the show. The Orioles as a team only struck out 17 times. That's the fewest number of strikeouts in all of baseball. Like that's fantastic through three games. Like I know we're grasping for things here, but you know what? We're Orioles fans, and in a year after that opening day game, like I, I want to be honest, and I switched it off after the fourth inning on opening day. I said I'm done. I had all of my stuff ready, laid out, enjoy opening day, and I was uh, just the, the the anticipation was quickly deflated, and I changed it and watched Padres and Diamondbacks for the rest of the night. Um, but you know, Santander had a big weekend. Um, I, I like some of the bullpen arms. Tanner Scott had a quick outing. I liked what I saw to him. Givens, uh, Cole Sulcer, obviously had a, that was nice to see. Hopefully that sticks around. Um, you know, I know we're not a, a you know, we try to focus on the younger guys, but I enjoyed watching Jose Iglesias become one of the most feared middle-of-the-order hitters in all of baseball. True um, number three hitter. Seriously. And you put uh, Adley Rutschman behind him and the <laughs> Orioles uh, have something here. Uh, you know, he's going to be a lot of fun. If he, We know he has the glove. If he can still hit like that, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch until one of these prospects mm-hmm. comes up in the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know – I think it was Saturday or Sunday before the game when Ben McDonald was talking about because the Orioles officially announced, you know, the, the undrafted free agents and some more, the Carter Baumler signing, I think was this weekend officially announced. Uh, and uh, Ben McDonald was talking about Jordan Westberg as a guy, uh, a future stud in major league baseball, as he described him. So um, I'm going to pretend that's not his sec bias just shining through and say that he truly believes that. Uh, but, you know, until someone like Westberg or one of those guys comes up, you know, Iglesias is going to be fun to watch. Yeah. And if you guys ever need to borrow my crystal ball, you know, just let me know. I'll ship it right out. But no, it was cool to see Rio hit two out. I know he's re- reworking that swing. So to show some early power uh, improvement was pretty cool. Like you said, Santander, I was pretty surprised to see him start so strong, especially coming into camp late. I don't know if he had like real symptoms of coronavirus, but he definitely tested positive. So I don't, I was just pleasantly surprised that he didn't start off a little bit cold like I was expecting. Uh, you mentioned Cole Saucer. I really liked that acquisition. It was like a sneaky good acquisition at the end of last year, claiming a guy off waivers from the Rays. A little bit older, but great numbers and just overcrowded, uh, pushed out of their bullpen for this year. So I'm glad that he got off to a strong start and hopefully he can continue. Maybe he's the closer of the future. Doubt it. But uh, the thing I liked was games two and three. Obviously, we did so many things right to win two games against Boston. But the best thing we did was we didn't walk a single batter back-to-back games against an offense like that. That's pretty key because they still put some good swings on the ball. If we walked a few batters, things might have been turned out differently. Could have scored some more runs. And we also walked eight times in game three, including three from Chance Cisco, who I'm sure Nick was happy to see that. And maybe (laughs) if he can just walk three times a game, I mean, he's Barry Bonds in the making. So. Yeah, it was there was a lot of positives to take out of, of the weekend series. And like Nick said, I feel like I got my season's worth right there just to get some live baseball that was actually counted in the standings and have the Orioles win two out of three. That was like pretty, pretty good after the past few months. So uh, I do want to focus on Saucer for a minute. He um, hits in the game on Sunday, delivered two scoreless innings. Um, 2013 draft uh, Cleveland Indians, 25th round out of Dartmouth. 
He's 30 years old, still a prospect, uh, did not debut in the majors until last year, but seeing him pitch on Sunday, I thought if nothing else, the Orioles might have a reliable late inning relief option that none of us really saw coming uh, before this season started. And to have that and hopefully an improved Tanner Scott, um, if Hunter Harvey comes back soon and is healthy, that makes the late inning relief corps even better. Yeah, especially without Hunter Harvey and Dylan Tate healthy for it doesn't seem like they're gonna be coming back anytime soon. So unfortunately. So yeah, it's nice to help get us through those innings. And that's kind of the watching guys like that break out makes me feel like uh if we're gonna wait longer to see some of those prospects make the major leagues though. I think uh the Orioles are gonna be more content in watching guys like Sulcer and Cole Stewart and David Hess, who, who just clearly doesn't have it. Uh, I don't think anymore to stick in the major leagues, but they're going to keep giving those guys the opportunities. Your Cedric Mullins in the outfield uh, instead of bringing up those prospects quite early. But, you know, maybe we see Ryan Mountcastle the next time the Orioles take the field. At this rate, we, he could be in the lineup the next time the Orioles take the field. So. <laughs> Yeah, we were we were debating beforehand if it goes by days or games because that could make a big determining factor in that. But uh, let's not mention Cody Carroll, who was my breakout pick <laughs> for the year and didn't look too great in his first outing of the season. Well, hopefully there are uh, better day, uh, better games coming up for him. Um, and as Nick Benson, we're still waiting to see when Ryan Malcastle makes it. That um, if Malcastle is not on by the time we record next week and. Things have settled down a little bit. We might take a deep dive into that. Um, as Nick mentioned, one news item from over the weekend, Carter Baumler's deal is now official. So the Orioles signed every player in their 2020 draft class. Uh, Baumler's deal took a little bit longer than the others to wrap up officially, but it had been expected all along that every player from the 2020 class was going to sign. So that's now done. Um, and if you want to read more about the 2020 draft class, you can visit BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com and check out our top 30 prospects list, which was updated earlier this month. We also recorded a podcast to go along with that. Um, and while you're at it, check out the other content on the site, including Orioles, Ravens, and college sports. Hop on the message board and continue to follow us on Twitter at, at BSL on the Verds. Uh, before we sign off uh, for this week, any final thoughts? I'll start with you, Bob. Um, I'll say I hope we get to see some Orioles baseball this week if uh, if they continue to play baseball. Um, I think Ryan Mancastle will not be in the starting lineup by the time we record next week, but maybe the weekend following. I think they're going to do a couple extra days padding just to make sure they get that extra year out of them. Yeah, same. Uh, I think hopefully we the season continues. Hopefully the, these numbers that come back when they test the Marlins uh, aren't terrible, and we can see uh, baseball on Wednesday because I think I just saw that you know Tuesday's game is also officially postponed. I think would be the proper word. So uh, hopefully Wednesday they play. Maybe we even get double headers Wednesday and Thursday. You know, we'll see what Marlins take the field, who they pick out of free agency. Uh, I, I'm saying Ubaldo Jimenez makes a return to Miami. Um, I'm counting on that. If so, that would be great. I, I want to see Ubaldo come back and pitch Thursday at Camden Yards. That's my final I, thoughts. I, I think our playoff odds just went up. <laughs> and he'll throw a no-hitter in his first start back. It'll be a true Cinderella story. Uh, all right, so uh, – on that note, continue to follow us at FBSL on the Verge. Check back next week for a new show. Um, in the meantime, 
For Bob Phil and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. Thanks for listening.